great to be able to gather together in person and worship. In fact, the writer of the book of Hebrews encourages us not to neglect gathering. But of course, with this time of year, with the weather and the colds and everything, we're absolutely grateful for this opportunity we have with our tech team here to be able to worship online. So welcome to all of you uh, joining us online. In fact, one of the best parts of Four Mile Church is the welcome. In fact, that's why I like to stand out back at the beginning of the service, so I get a chance to be a part of it. Um, and even from the moment that I arrived here, I just feel really welcomed. And so I feel badly for our online community. They don't get that welcome. So I talked to the tech team about it, and they had this great idea. We got this camera back here, and I invited the welcome crew to just stand up here and uh, give the folks online a welcome. In fact, since that camera is pointing at all of you, I would just encourage the whole congregation to go ahead and wave. Great. Excellent. Now, the interesting thing is, how many people do you think at home wave to their computers, <laughs> right? Anyway, but it's so important that we stay together as a church, we stay connected. It's so important that we build each other up, strengthen each other, encourage each other every single week. And one of the best ways to stay connected truly is our website. Abby has spent a ton of time on this. It's brand new. In fact, I'd ask everyone in the church to check it out this week. Uh, it's really cool. Got a lot of neat information on it. If you can't find something, just go to the upper right-hand corner. You'll see this word contact. Just hit that, and down will drop this little screen, and you can send us a little note and let us know what you're having trouble finding. So um, truly important that we stay connected that way. Also, we say it over and over again, get the app. The app is really helpful. The app has our schedule in it. So when people ask, what's going on at Four Mile? I always respond and say, do you have the app? Because if you have the app, you'll know. It's in the calendar. It also has our directory. And so, um, you know, if you've already put your information in our directory, it's great. But I'd also encourage you to put a picture in there. So it's just great to match a face um, with a name. Uh, and put one that we can recognize you. Some of you have some pretty creative photos, um, but we want one where we can actually recognize who you are. It's very helpful, particularly for our new folks, when they're here and they see someone and they want to kind of connect a name. So we just encourage you to do that. Abby, of course, is always available. You can send her a note. You can come see her after church. She'll be down front. Um, and we're putting together a little team that will help sort of consult um, and help you anytime you have problems with technical issues with your phone or computer or whatever. So just want to encourage everybody to think about that over the coming weeks. Now, of course, we're still um, focused very much on the fundamentals in this church. In fact, with Super Bowl week, we've got our football up here. We've even got our nice little new logo, the Four Mile Church on our football. Um, so as you see um, football front and center, as we celebrate that as a church or as a, as a, as a country with the NFL this week, um, just be reminded of the fundamentals. And of course, as a church, we're working on these pillars, these 12 pillars as our fundamentals. We're encouraging everyone to pick one where you're probably going to be a good fit um, and really contribute to it. Another one, maybe you feel like a fish out of water. And this is that opportunity you'll have to really grow. And so we'll have signups coming up soon on this, uh, more to follow. Um, of course, these pillars were critical to the early church, and they're equally as critical to us in this day and age. And so that's why we're so focused on the fundamentals in this church. And of course, we've been looking at those fundamentals through the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus has been turning our world upside down for much of the past couple of months. And of course, no exception again today. In fact, these last couple of sermons, uh, we have three left after today, four total, um, in the Sermon on the Mount are heavy, hard-hitting, really important sermons that we're here for. Um, you know, we've been talking about relationships and judgment and all that's kind of a challenge for us. Well, the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about final judgment. 
and falsehood and some other things that we have to be really mindful of. So just encourage everyone to kind of plug in if you possibly can the next couple weeks. It's really, really important. Last week, Cami talked to us about that narrow path. And we've been talking about it really throughout the whole series, but last week, Jesus really focused in on what the importance of that narrow path is, because it leads to the narrow gate. And the narrow gate, as we learned, is Jesus. That's how we get into the kingdom of God. And there's a lot of things along that narrow path that can distract us. And Jesus teaches us about one of them today, false prophets. So let's ask his help, and then we'll dig in. Ever-present, all-knowing, all-powerful Father, we love you, and we thank you that you send us the Holy Spirit to convict, counsel, and comfort us. So would you do just that this morning as we study the truth of your word? For Jesus' sake, amen. So once again, in this part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus starts with an imperative. He says, beware of false prophets. And we can actually learn quite a bit from that assertion that he makes right there. First, Jesus is saying that in no uncertain terms, false prophets exist. There's all kinds of records of false prophets in the Old Testament. They were clearly there in Jesus' day, and they're every bit as prevalent in this day and age. And it's especially important that we're aware of them because we live in the digital age, and so we have access to all kinds of things on the internet, and it's really important that we're good discerners of the truth that we're learning. So let's start out by being very clear about what a prophet is. Prophets are those who convey divinely inspired truth. So false prophets are those who misrepresent truth. We typically think about prophets along two lines. First, it's in the sense of forecasting something into the future. So a prophet might say, hey, there's going to be a famine or a flood in two years. And then in two years, if the famine or the flood happens, then it is obviously a true prophecy. And so that's one part of prophecy we see in Scripture. The other part is in the sense of explaining God's will for us now as he's revealed the truth through the scripture. So that's the kind of stuff that Cammie and me and Jack and others do around the church, where we are to teach the truth of scripture. And so that's the other part of prophecy. And so we're gonna be focusing almost exclusively on that today. Now Jesus also affirms by this statement that absolute truth exists when he uses the term false prophets, or else he wouldn't use the word false. You see, we live in this age of secular humanism and moral relativism, so everything is relative to how we view a situation. Perhaps the best way to think about this is in our mainstream media or in our social media platforms that we use. There's clearly a deliberate attempt to manipulate truth to align with a network's view on things. And that's not a political statement. That happens on the left and that happens on the right. So many have abandoned the pursuit of absolute truth. There's very little black and white these days. Everything's sort of a shade of gray. But scripture teaches that truth isn't relative. There aren't shades of gray. Truth is absolute and God is the author of it. So Jesus is teaching us that there are true prophets and there are false prophets. 
True prophets speak absolute truth. Whatever they say, it happens, and it's always in line with the truth of Scripture. While false prophets are those who manipulate truth, like we often see in the media, to promote their personal agendas. And we've seen what it does to our culture. Can you imagine what it will do to the church? And so Jesus says, beware of false prophets. So who are the false prophets? Well, fortunately, Jesus tells us, those who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. In other words, they're gonna be really hard to recognize. They aren't like those pigs and dogs that Cammie taught on a few weeks ago. You can easily see those guys. Pigs and dogs outwardly reject the truth of Christ. Now these false prophets, they're dressed in sheep's clothing, meaning they look like us, they talk like us, they act like us. Jesus often used the term sheep to refer to his flock. So these false prophets appear just like other Christians. They look like sheep in the flock. They fit in. Many of them have fancy seminary degrees. They smile a lot. They speak in Christian platitudes. They tell you to have a blessed day. He is greater than I. My cup overfloweth. They even have fish stickers on the back of their cars. They do their very best to not offend people. They carry their Bibles everywhere. They serve as pastors, as elders, as deacons, as Sunday school teachers. But inwardly, they are ravenous wolves, meaning they're out for themselves, just like a hungry wolf. Or to put it another way, they're far more interested in their own glory than God's glory. They use religion to build themselves up in popularity and stature and they do it in very subtle ways. They tell stories about themselves all the time. They love to crack jokes and sermons and share their clever insights. They're far more interested in growing their church attendance than they are about growing God's kingdom. They lead people away from the narrow gate with their artful and shrewd tactics that support their agenda. False prophets look exactly like what a Christian should look like, but they operate like the world. So now how do we recognize them if they look so much like us? Well, as we see in the text, Jesus shifts from this analogy of sheep to an analogy of a tree. A wolf can dress up like a sheep and go undetected for years, but a tree eventually betrays itself by its fruit as the seasons change. And so Jesus says, you will recognize them by their fruits. So we're to evaluate their fruit. Remember, a prophet's role is to convey God's truth to others, and of course we find that truth in Scripture. As Paul writes, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So our church, we have a reformed theology. That means that we believe truth is only found in the person, words, and works of our triune God, and that the Bible is the inspired word of God sufficient for all matters of faith and practice. King David affirms this in Psalm 119. He says, the sum of your word is truth, 
and every one of your righteous rules endure forever. So truth we find in here. Whenever someone is proclaiming truth, if it is not in step with Scripture, it is not truth. It is whatever they are trying to achieve. Recall, too, that before Jesus went to the cross, he promised to send his Holy Spirit, who, as Jesus says, will guide us into all truth. So the Holy Spirit helps us understand the truth of Scripture and apply it to our lives. He convicts us of that truth. So the bar is high for teachers of truth because they're conveying the truth from the very author of truth himself. So that is a prophet's charge, to pursue truth. So how do we discern a true prophet from a false one? Well, there are at least three fairly obvious fruits for us to evaluate. The first fruit to consider is in the area of teaching itself. Does the person pursue and teach the truth? Because it's not easy. It requires an understanding of the cultural, historical context of the times. Literary devices used back in Old Testament and New Testament times, the different languages, all to discern the intended meeting to the targeted audience some 2,000 years ago or more, and it cannot be done without the help of the Holy Spirit. It's taxing work uncovering truth, especially with how busy a pastor's job, a teacher's job, or even just the staff at a church has become these days. I mean, you have your standard weddings, you have your unexpected funerals. Then, of course, you've got sermons and baptisms and communion and all the other little things that are going on. And then you got this whole online world that is kind of a new thing for how we minister. You got websites to keep up. Tyler makes these videos look easy, but let me tell you, there's hours and hours of work that go into just two or three minutes of a video. There's a ton involved with all this. And I'm not saying this stuff to kind of get like pity or anything for the work the staff does. I'm saying it to point out the fact that it's really easy to half-step it on truth. Because when you're busy doing all those other things, you just kind of slap together a message, but you haven't done your homework. And that's really important for us to consider because as we look at all that's before us, there's so much at stake for us to get this exactly right. And of course, the hardest part is not making it all about yourself, because teachers are human too. We want to be liked, and there's just some pretty tough stuff here in Scripture. Now, it's one thing if we're pursuing truth with all we've got and we mess up. That's just going to happen sometimes, and hopefully there's grace for that. But it's another thing for us to be careless and misrepresent truth, because there's no excuse for that. But then there's a whole other level when we become so focused on ourselves as pastors and teachers that we aren't even teaching truth anymore. We're teaching in a way that builds ourselves up to bring glory to ourselves. You know, it's interesting because people encourage me all the time. They say, you know, you need to become more real at the pulpit. You need to tell stories about yourself. You need to let the congregation know what you're like and what you're about. And I always resist that. I've been hearing that for years, by the way. That's not just a four-mile thing. Um, when I'm up here, this is about Jesus. This is about truth. This is not about me. If you want to learn about me, I'll be at the back. You can see me afterwards or before church, where I'll meet you for coffee sometime. But we really need to be focused exclusively on this. I love what Robert Murray McShane says, and if you have not read anything from McShane before, get your hands on everything you possibly can. This guy is tremendous. 
He's one of the most impactful preachers and writers from Scotland in the early 1800s. He wrote, Today I missed some fine opportunities of speaking a word for Christ. The Lord saw that I would have spoken as much for my own honor as for his, and therefore he shut my mouth. I see that a man cannot be a faithful, fervent minister until he preaches just for Christ's sake, until he gives up trying to attract people to himself and seeks to attract them to Christ. Lord, give me this. It's so easy for us to get caught up in trying to build ourselves up, even when we do something good, like if we just go down to the center or we do something where we're contributing to God's kingdom, it's so easy for us to be pulled in. And so it is my hope for all of us and prayer for all of us that we will pray and ask for exactly what McShane is referring to, that will always be about God's glory and not ours. A second fruit to consider is in the area of conduct. Does the person behave and step with truth. Now, even the best of men are men at best, so we have to be very careful at how we evaluate this one. Far too often we hold pastors and other proclaimers of truth to a standard that no human being can attain. All have fallen short of the glory of God, and so it applies to every single one of us. Every single teacher will sin. It's much more, instead, about how the person responds to that sin hopefully with the utmost of humility. Because when we teach a truth, we teach it first to ourselves. So we repent of all of our past misgivings in each regard. And we seek the assistance of the Holy Spirit to resist future temptation. But when we're overcome with it, and we always will be at some level or another, we must be eager to drop to our knees in humility, to grieve it, to confess our failings, and to repent, to turn from that sin. A third fruit to consider is in the area of the flock that sits under the person's teaching. Do they respond to the teaching in line with truth? Because sometimes false teaching is hard to see in those first two cases. But then you examine the flock and it's riddled with heretical theology, ungodly behavior, division, and false hope. So not only must we discern the truth about the person under whose teaching we sit, but we must also look to our left and to our right. Are we surrounded by people who worship God in spirit and in truth? And don't look for the perfect people. Look for the broken people, the convicted people, the repentant people, the humble people. Those are typically the ones pursuing truth. The perfect people are pretty sure they've already got it figured out. Next, Jesus gives us two ways to think about fruit on a tree. In the first case, he asks this question, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? I've had to practice that figs from thistles for a while. Kevin, you did a great job with that. In other words, the fruit doesn't seem to match the tree that it came from. It's an apple tree, but it's producing acorns. So let's see what that might look like with these three fruits that we've identified. First in the area of teaching, rather than pursuing or teaching the truth of scripture, false prophets teach from personal experience. They deliver messages that originate in their own hearts and minds. It happens very frequently. It's one of the easiest ways to see if that's what's going on in a church. Another good indicator is do they preach politics 
Are they up there talking about their political views because that's just not in Scripture? Or maybe you see sermons where they lay out the 12 steps of a healthy marriage, referencing a book they read, but let me tell you, there aren't 12 steps to a healthy marriage in Scripture. They produce these bumper sticker sermons that employ empty Christian platitudes taken completely out of context. They go on and on, bouncing all over Scripture, piecing together a message driven by their own agenda. In terms of conduct, rather than behaving in step with truth, they teach one thing and then they do another. They teach sermon after sermon about the importance of controlling our tongue, but then they routinely speak carelessly themselves. They may call the church regularly to confession, forgiveness, and repentance, while they themselves sow the seeds of division. They hold grudges. They bully people with their assumed piety, refusing to settle disagreements or apologize. And then there's the flock. Rather than responding in line with the truth, the church behaves like the culture around it. The church has cliques. There's a popular and an unpopular crowd. Prayer chains become gossip fountains. Music is all about the top 10. It's seeker sensitive, so it has positive language. It doesn't offend anyone, offering false hope. The people leading music wear hip but suggestive clothing and behave in ways on stage that draw attention to themselves instead of leading the church to worship Jesus in spirit and in truth. So in teaching, in conduct, and the way the flock behaves, the fruit doesn't match the tree. In the second case, Jesus asserts, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit, and a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. In this case, the fruit matches the tree, but the fruit's bad. So the apple tree produces an apple, but it's rotten on the inside. The second case is a little harder to recognize than the first because at least the fruit matches the tree. And there's always a little bit of bad fruit on any tree anyhow. So let's check out how this applies to our three fruits. In the area of teaching, rather than teaching the full truth, false prophets only teach half the truth. They teach the easy stuff. They omit the hard truth. You see, they're not focused on God, they're focused on their own popularity. So they're not gonna preach about sin. You wanna grow your church? You preach prosperity. You serve coffee in the pews. You don't preach the truth of judgment. False prophets spend more time looking for a cute story that will capture everyone's attention to get a good laugh than they do mining the depths of scripture. Nothing they say is wrong in and of itself, it just lacks the full story. Jeremiah was one of those unpopular prophets because he kept speaking the truth of Israel's impending desolation. But the people preferred the pleasant messages of the false prophets. They said, don't tell us what is right, tell us nice things, tell us lies. That's what we find written by the prophet Isaiah. I think sometimes we'd prefer those nice false lies over the hard reality of truth some days. Second, in the area of conduct, rather than behave in step with truth, they look good on the outside, but they're rotten inside. They wear a smile everywhere they go and relentlessly ensure that no one sees any of their flaws. 
They pride themselves on being an example to others, the model Christian, but inwardly, they're a mess. You think back to earlier in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5 when Jesus talked about murder and anger and divorce and adultery and lust and how the outward sign of those things, the murder and the adultery, they would never be involved with. But yet at the same time, they burn with anger and lust and they'll never admit it to anyone, not wanting anyone to know the truth of their internal battles. Martin Lloyd-Jones warns that we must be very careful mistaking a nice, happy, positive, and jolly person for a saint. Third, the flock. Rather than responding in line with the truth, the church lacks a healthy fear of the Lord. You see, the flock has only been taught half the truth, that God's good, but they haven't been taught the other half, that God is also sovereign, that he does what he pleases. He's also a consuming fire, and there is a final judgment. Yes, Jesus secured our salvation, but there'll be much suffering, not prosperity, for the saints in this world. And we're still called throughout the entirety of the New Testament to respond in obedience. We love the gospel message of grace, but we wrestle with that call to be obedient that's all over scripture. We've been studying it in the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus dying for our sins, past present and to come does not mean it's no big deal if we sin. It's huge. Yes, there's grace for that, but man, did it cost our Lord dearly. That should bring us to our knees every time. So what happens to false prophets? We see here that every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So these false prophets have tangible consequences to contend with. In Deuteronomy 18, it says they will be punished by death. In Old Testament times, if someone prophesied and it was wrong, it was a, they were a false prophet, they were immediately killed because you don't misrepresent God in any way. That's very dangerous ground. The use of the phrase thrown into the fire in this text also confirms that they're headed for eternal destruction. And so as they stand at the narrow gate to lead you astray, don't let them take you with them. As John Stock concludes, if the church had heeded Jesus' warning and applied his tests, it would not be in the uncertain state of theological and moral confusion in which it finds itself today. You see, failing to pursue truth at all costs has real and tangible consequences for us all. So as one charged with teaching the truth from Scripture, the thought of it all, to be honest with you, it's quite terrifying. It's terrifying to me and Kemi and Jack and all of us who do this. Um, it's perhaps why James warns us against becoming a teacher, because they'll be judged with greater strictness. But to be clear, this isn't just for preachers or teachers. Any one of us are prone to being a false prophet at any point in time, whenever we misrepresent the truth of Scripture, especially when we distort it for our own personal gain, our own personal agenda. So I want to show you a few things that we do as a church to guard against this. I'll go through these pretty quickly. First, we're committed to expository preaching. You've heard us talk about this quite a bit over the last few months. That means we preach through a text. We don't avoid the hard stuff, and I think we've already demonstrated that as we move through the Sermon on the Mount. We don't miss out on the hard things. 
So that means we're not jumping all over scripture, just picking up the easy stuff. We are going to grab a text and we're going to move through it and exposit exactly what Jesus had intended or whatever the writer had intended of that particular text. Second, we're devoted to strong hermeneutics. What's a hermeneutic? A hermeneutic is a fancy theological term that basically means you want to uncover the meaning of meaning. What is it that Jesus had in mind when he wrote the Sermon on the Mount? What is it that Paul meant when he wrote that letter to Timothy? So you got to go back in time, and you got to kind of uncover the meaning of meaning. And that leads then to the third part, where we seek to provide accessible homiletics. And that's where you take that intended meaning from thousands of years ago, and you put it in the context of 2022 in the modern-day vernacular, so that we can take that very same lesson and apply it to our lives. Fourth, we're committed to rigorous assessments. In fact, I think the staff will tell you, they get a little tired of these assessments. After every single service, every single event, we get together as a staff and we review it very, very carefully. And not just the preaching and teaching, the music, the whole bit. It's important that we're under the truth the entire time we are worshiping. We also ask for constant feedback from outside sources. I ask for it from many of you. In fact, our elders are gonna be meeting tomorrow to go with the staff, walk through every little piece of it with the staff. So we are constantly reviewing and doing rigorous assessments. Fifth, Cammie and I engage in peer review, meaning she reviews my sermon before I present it, I review her sermon before she presents it to make sure that we are in step with truth. Sixth, we have a long-term planning process that ensures we are covering the totality of scripture not just the easy stuff. Seventh, we regularly discuss our biases. I have an entire worldview that I bring to my life. Every one of us does in here. Tyler has his own, Cammie has her own, all our elders do. So we get together and we make sure none of those biases are clouding the direction in which we are perceiving and interpreting truth. Of course, we observe all of this over time. We do periodic reviews with each staff member. We do periodic reviews on every single aspect of the church because it takes time to grow fruit and you want to observe it over time. Ninth, we have 10 church values. We mentioned this back on January 2nd when we did our church business meeting. I hope all of you have checked them out. If you haven't, when you go to the website this week, go look for them, see if you can find them. Um, they're really helpful. In fact, as a staff, we go through a value each week and we focus on it and make sure that we are in step with what we desire to be the culture of this church. And then 10th, and I believe to be most importantly, this is where we need your help. Know your Bibles and pray. Every single one of you, it's so important that you know your Bibles and that you pray. As covenant partners, you have professed your faith in Jesus Christ. You're walking with the Holy Spirit and presumably living out of God's word daily. Have it open when we preach. You're all sensible people. Check us. Ask questions. I'm one of those pastors that loves feedback. You can tell me anything you want. I've never been offended in my life. You're probably right. We'll look into it. Um, grab me. Give me your input. Grab an elder. Grab one of the staff members. We love to get your feedback. We love, in particular, if you have a question about anything that's been said. It's so important, too, that you keep everything in this church in prayer. Charles Spurgeon was asked why his ministry was so effective over the years. And he said, because my people pray for me. Many of you know, and you ask all the time, how can we pray? How can we be supporting you? And I will tell you, prayer. In fact, as you all know, we have people in the back praying for the service as we are preaching. It's so important that we pray. Ask, seek, and knock, that we might have those gifts of the kingdom. We're all in this together. 
We aren't always going to get it right, but we're going to get it everything we've got. And when we do screw up, we're going to confess it in humility, repent, turn back toward that gate together as a church. At Four Mile Church, the tree and its fruit must always be in step with the truth of Scripture. Lord, thank you for the truth that you give us through your word. Guard us against the perils of false prophets. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, guide us in all matters of truth. We want to glorify your great name as members of your church. So Lord, help us, we pray. For Jesus' sake, amen. So this message... It's a helpful warning for us all. And Jesus is going to continue to push the next couple of weeks on this issue of falsehood, and especially as it has implications for the final judgment. So again, you're not going to want to miss one of these next couple of weeks. I'd like us now to approach the communion table today with a commitment to pursue truth with all we've got. Every one of us in here has fallen short, and the only response to that is in humility, confession, and repentance. So as we remain seated and sing this song together, I hope that we'll make these words our own as we examine ourselves in preparation to receive the elements. Mm -hmm.